Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey everybody, welcome to Barca Talk. I am Brian Henderson. Joining me from Madrid is Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from a different mother. How are you doing? I am under the wire right now. So let me let the listeners in on what's happening. Uh, This is a bit of a Franken episode. So Gabriel, you're not going to be available to record this weekend because you're going to be in London. And I want to hear about that in a second. But just to clue the listeners in on what's going on, we're doing kind of Half the show on Friday morning, my time, afternoon, your time. And I'm going to be doing the rest by myself after the match against Malaga. So you're going to be busy and otherwise engaged. So half of this episode, you're going to hear Gabriel. The other half, he's going to mysteriously disappear. And when it comes to the Malaga review, it's just going to be me. So if you're missing out on on Gabriel's insightful review of matches, uh, you know, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to check back with us next week. Um, but so, yeah, what's going on with London? What's the deal there, man? Yeah, so I'm headed to London this weekend for an NFL game. Uh, my friend works for the Arizona Cardinals, uh, one of my really, really good friends back from Phoenix. So it just worked out that I could go to London. So I'm going to be going to the game, and it's at Wembley. So it's kind of two birds with one stone. I get to check out Wembley, one of the stadiums I've always wanted to check out. And I'm just going to London just for a quick uh, getaway to see my friend, who I haven't seen in more than, I was just talking to him this week, more than four years about. So really excited to see him, obviously, go to London, which is always a lot of fun to go check out a different city, and, of course, to check out some NFL. So unfortunately, I won't be able to record the podcast with you and talk about the Malaga game, but obviously we're going to talk about the Olympiacos and some of the news and notes so far this week. Yeah. So who are the Cardinals playing? Do you even care, or is it just so that you can see your friend? Yeah, so the Cardinals are playing the Rams, uh, now the Los Angeles Rams. So it's a it's a tough NFC West match, so people are going to be buzzed about this game. Uh, no, but I really don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so this is your first time in London, your first time at Wembley. That's pretty cool. And you get to see an old friend. That's always exactly. a good time. Actually, it's not my first time in London. It's actually like my fifth time, just to say. But the first, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. But the first time uh, going to Wembley, which I've always wanted to go check out. And not only do I get to go there, but I get to be inside, check out a, you know some sort of sporting event there, which is really cool, and get to knock down another thing off my sports list i don't know what my sports bucket list i guess we would say so yeah (laughs) yeah well you know speaking of uh, other sports i just want to give a a little quick shout out to the pena barcelona in los angeles uh no doubt plenty of them are also dodger fans and uh i was i was just checking the checking the scores last night and uh, yeah 11 to 1 
they really <laughs> they really crushed the Cubs on on this series. So uh, shout out to the Pena Barcelona in L.A. Those of you who are rooting for the Dodgers, you know, um, congratulations to you. Um, there's been there's been an ongoing civil war here at my house because I'm from Southern California. I was raised to be a Dodger fan. My girlfriend Megan was raised in San Francisco. Of course, she's raised to be a Giants fan. And uh, there's been a, a little tension in the house, even though I I was rooting for the Cubs. I was rooting actively against the Dodgers because I've I've now adopted a certain love for Chicago, and um, I loved watching the Cubs win the series last year. So I was act even though I was rooting against the Dodgers. I told Megan like, look, for me, I don't have a lot of hard allegiances when it comes to baseball. So like. If the Dodgers make it to the series, which they did, uh, I'll root for them in the series. But it, like, it's not a big deal. And it started a um, a heated discussion. <laughs> but you, being from you know San Jose, Northern California area, you're a Giants guy, right? Correct, black and orange through and through. So I was rooting for the Cubs, especially since my friend who was visiting last week, Andrew, is a diehard Cubs fan. I was definitely pulling for the Cubs. Because I loathe the Dodgers. They're like my Real Madrid baseball team. So, sorry to say. I get it. I, I completely understand. And I was in San Francisco living there when they won all three of those championships. It was a, it was a wonderful time. Uh, very exciting to be in San Francisco when that was going on. And, like, I didn't feel anything <laughs> bad about them. I, like I said, my, my baseball allegiances are as... As flimsy as uh, as a wet blanket in the wind. I tried my hands. I tried my hand at a Ray Hudson metaphor. It didn't go well. But I'm going to leave it in the show. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, let's get into a lot of listener comments that we had this week. A uh, really great uh, engagement. This is my favorite one. This came all the way from Rob in Australia. Says. Hi, guys. Uh, I've been loving the podcast. I'm in Sydney, Australia, and the slow trickle of legitimate news and information about Barca makes me feel a bit like a mushroom uh, kept in the dark and fed shit. So getting to listen to you two talk about the team and what's going on without the bullshit is awesome. Uh, I've also been really enjoying the updates on the women's team and Barca B. My wife is a football freak and a Real Madrid fan, so that's got to be an interesting home dynamic sometimes. And I watch a lot more women's football, her matches, and our domestic league than men's. And like you guys, our women's national team is awesome, and our men are crap. So the updates on the women's team is great. Keep up the good work, and I look forward to the new episode come Tuesday morning, because he's in Australia. By the time we put out the episode, it's already Tuesday for Rob. So thanks a lot, Rob, for, for writing that. And yeah, we're going to keep covering Barca B and uh, the women's side. You're going to hear more about that from me uh, this week. And then as the weeks uh, go on, you know, we'll both be chiming in. But again, because of our altered schedule, it'll just be me this week. Uh, that, that was really nice. Yeah, I was going to say thanks, Rob, for the comment. It's really cool to uh, see our worldwide reach of the podcast. It's just really interesting because when you and I are talking, you know, we don't really have, you know, we don't have a live audience and so forth. But when we get to see the statistics of our audience, it's really fascinating. Like we're really huge in Denmark, apparently, which was very interesting to both of us. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, so it's really great to hear from listeners all over the world that are enjoying our podcast and, you know, just enjoy our banter and especially our given nicknames that we give to the players and so forth. I love that everyone is like commenting on the different nicknames that we give. It just kind of gives us our own little community that everyone's participating in. So it's really great to see that. Yeah, and everyone's getting involved. And yeah, just like an obscure band, you know, we're huge in Denmark. Correct. I think that band was like Citizen Dick, right, from Singles. So we're, we're here. We're huge in Denmark. 
Right. Now, also, uh, this came from Carlos on Facebook, and this is actually kind of a uh, an ongoing thing because he had messaged us, and uh, I was going to put it on the show, and I got sidetracked. I lost track of it, uh, and so I didn't. And so I touched I touched base with Carlos and said, you know, sorry about that. And so we had a little bit more back and forth. So this is kind of a, an aggregate of a couple of messages that Carlos has sent us. Um, he says, uh, I thank you guys for providing the podcast for guys like me who work in cardiology and I can't watch certain games. Thanks a lot and keep up the dope work. Um, by the way, just like you guys have a man crush on Sergio Roberto and just quick correction, I have the man crush on Sergio Roberto. Gabriel does not. Um, or as I call him, Swiss Knife. Uh, that's Carlos again. Carlos calls Sergi Swiss Knife, which I understand why. He says, I have a man crush on my boy, Untiti. Now that's Gabriel's man crush. <laughs> I also want to add that I have a hunch we're going to get Coutinho and Di Maria in the winter transfer. And that last point, I don't know about that. But let's just go back and say thanks, Carlos, for listening. Uh, glad you like the show. Um, I, I like the name Swiss Knife, although I, I, I want to start calling Sergi Deep Blue, but that's just my personal thing. Because on one hand, he is kind of like a supercomputer, but also those those deep blue eyes, man. Yeah, those deep blues go deep, man. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like I like the, the nickname Swiss Knife because, I mean, he truly is, you know, a utility player for us in different positions. You know, his Barca career, he's played almost all over the pitch besides goalkeeper and maybe uniform team manager or something like this, you know, like that's the last thing he's left on his a CV. But I do like Swiss Knife as a nickname. That's a pretty good one. Uh, but yeah, he's all over the place. I, you know, I, my man crush uh, is not as deep as yours, but I do love Sergio Roberto. And I just wish he would play more. You know, I wish he would get more playing time, especially like we talked last week with the, with the match um, against Atleti, getting the start over Andres Gomez. I would have preferred to see that. But again, you know, you know how much I love Umtiti. Umtiti's my 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 man crush, so he's my guy. But with the last part about Coutinho and Di Maria, I don't think we're going to get those guys in the winter transfer. I really hope we don't get Di Maria. And at this point, I'm happy with the team and what we're doing so far. Um, you know, maybe the style isn't as as pretty, and sometimes we don't dominate games as much, but we're still winning games with the players that we have. And so I prefer what we have right now, and then address the new players the following uh, summer. So that's what I think. What, about, what, do you, what do you think? Well, I do think that in the January window, whether we get Coutinho or not, and I really don't think Di Maria is, is actually going to happen. Um, I, there's been a, another surge in uh, talk on uh, the various websites and uh, sports press about a, a renewed interest in Coutinho. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But what I would like to see in January is offloading players that Valverde does not want to play and bringing in more players that he does want to play so that he can have more depth in his squad rotations. Because right now, you know, we have, what, two or three players on the books who are just not getting minutes at all because they're, they just, I don't know, they don't fit into Val Green's plans. So it, I think it would at least be good to get some players in who Valverde would want to put on the field. I just don't think, you know, I don't think he's going to get any players because right now, you know, especially how he's experimenting with the team, I think he has the team playing the way he wants. And it's taken, you know, how many weeks now? We're, you know, probably six to seven weeks to get to this point and to introduce another player. And also we're going to get Dembele back as well. So that's going to be another boost to our team as well. So usually the MO for Barca usually is not to go for, for winter players. They really don't like to do that just because of it breaks up the continuity with Champions League and this type of thing. But I definitely think that the following summer they might address the Coutinho thing. I really hope they don't get Demuria. I don't think 
he would give us anything. And also, he's a previous Real Madrid player. So that's the other thing, the other dynamic that Kules would not want uh, Di Maria on the team as well. Yeah, I think that if any, I mean, we've seen how Paulinho has had kind of a cool a reception in Barcelona even though he's had some good performances and he's done good good stuff so he's he's showing up and I think proving himself but yeah his his reception was not great and he just is just some guy you know he played for Tottenham he played in China but if you got Di Maria man it, he would have to work really really hard to win people over in Barcelona just because he used to play for Real Madrid for like a while a, a number of years he played for Real yeah, and I, I can remember distinctly that he's played in more than maybe five Clásicos against Barcelona. And so you kind of have that history already of Di Maria. I think he scored a couple goals in the Clásico and big games against Barcelona. He was always a threat. Maybe if he didn't play for Real Madrid before, I wouldn't mind bringing him on the team. But with all that baggage and history, I just I don't think it's a good fit. And I just think that they should just keep going younger. Bring up Barca B players like that we highlighted last week. You know, try to bring those players bring them up and use the squad that we have and use the different formations that we've been doing for other big games. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, our next comment actually came in on the phone line, 716-795-2853, for those of you who want to call in. Um, this came from a very special listener. A couple weeks ago, uh, we had a message that my dad left on the phone. And so this week, we got Gabriel's dad, Gus, to call in. So uh, this is what uh, what Gabriel's dad, Gus, had to say. Hi, Brian and uh, Gabe. Uh, this is Gus Quiroga, happened to be Gabriel's father, calling from uh, San Jose, California. Just wanted to say congratulations on your uh, podcast. I find uh, very helpful and informative, especially that uh, here in uh, California, and I guess in the United States in general, they don't show that much the games from uh, from Spain or Europe, so listening to you guys, it's a good source for information, so so that's great. And just a quick question. Uh, what can you tell about the new stadium for Barcelona? I thought uh, there was a project, there was a stadium under construction. As uh, you remember, Gabe, um, last year we attended the Classico, and that stadium looked a little bit tired. I think a new stadium would be great. So anyway, thanks for all the info and good luck on the next one. So I want to thank my dad, Gus, for the voicemail. I was hounding him for a couple of days to call, so I'm glad he finally called. My dad is the one that introduced me to football, so he is a diehard uh, Barca fan as well. We've been following Barca for a long time. So great question on the stadium, Gus. I'm uh, I'm interested because when we went to the Classico, because that was the first match we went together, he you know, he noted how old the stadium was a bunch of times. And I, I was telling him, you know, this is like Yankee Stadium. This is just an, it's an old stadium, but it has a lot of history. This is what it is. It doesn't have many amenities, but this is what, you know, this is the Camp Nou. Like, what do you expect? And he, you know, we we went to the match and a couple of times he's like, man, I wish the seats were more comfortable. This and that. I go, dad, this is not the States, right? Where we have like these luxury boxes, you have cushion seats, you have Wi-Fi, you have an app where you can like get your nachos in like two minutes, you know, these type of things. It's just a very, it almost feels like a high school match, right? You just go, you just get a Coke and a beer and a hot dog and that's about it. They are in the process of building the new stadium. Um, it's going to be, hopefully, in the start of 2018. When I did the Camp No uh, tour, they already had a section to show the 3D video of what it's going to look like and so forth. So it's going to have a lot of the similar Camp No 
architecture, but with some new features, obviously, probably like Wi-Fi, maybe an app where you can get Bocadillo sandwiches or something like this. But obviously, Brian, you have more information on this. You did the research on this. So why don't you tell the listeners more about the new the new Camp New? Well, yeah, the new Camp New is uh, officially uh, being called, at least right now, Espai Barça. And so as far as we know, uh, the plan to renovate the Camp New is in effect. And the first phase is planned to start the summer of 2018. And that phase, that first phase, will involve the demolition of Tier 1 on the North Goal and lateral areas. And that's going to be replaced with uh, with new construction during that summer. And then they're also going to start construction work in the goals uh, that will reach concourse level one. They're going to make some tunnels for spectators to be installed to uh, allow safe passage through any ongoing construction works for match days. Uh, they're going to demolish half of the ramps on the lateral side, excavate a pit out in front of the tribuna stand. That's the one that's that's covered. And if necessary put in a new pitch and I it'll more than likely if you've ever seen a construction site they're going to have to put in a new pitch but also you know uh, there are a lot of fun mock-ups and those 3d videos all of that is on the club's website under club facilities espy barca so you can you can get more information there and I wanted to ask you about your dad Gabriel so uh, where is where's Gus from originally Gus is from Cochabamba Bolivia and when he was at the ripe age of 18 years old he moved to the U.S., so he came to the U.S. to study, and he's and he's been in California for most of his life. So, uh, but he played football growing up, and he's always loved football. He, like I mentioned in an earlier podcast, he was my first football coach. He was the one that always, you know, uh, he was almost like our Pep Guardiola of our of our AYSO soccer team. You know, we won a lot of trophies. You know, he like revolutionized our team. People were like, what? What's this? Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. He did not revolutionize, but he's outdrawn all the various chalk lines on the practice field at the AYSO, like at the elementary school. He's like, okay, juega de posición. Exactly. I remember like, for example, I'll just give you a really quick example. When I was like six or seven, uh, he was one of the first coaches that I had had at that time that would actually make us train with both feet. And I remember a lot of the players like didn't know what that meant, you know, like, oh, we have to use both feet. My dad's like, yeah, if you want to become really good, you got to use your left and right. So I remember things like this that a lot of American coaches weren't implementing back in the 80s. Right. This this is a long time ago. But yeah, so my dad, we've had a really nice uh, charmed football life. Uh, in 1994, we went to the World Cup together in San Francisco. We went to all the matches there, which was amazing. We went to the Clasico two years ago. Uh, that was a great experience. Um, we've been to the Real Madrid Stadium. We went to the Camp No Stadium uh, tour. So we've we've done a lot of cool soccer things together, and I'm really grateful for him introducing to uh, my, myself, especially to being a Barca fan and also to uh, you know football in general, just World Cup football and everything like this. That's so great. Well, thank you, Gus, for the call. We really, really appreciated it. Now, we do have one more message from a listener. Uh, we're going to get to that in in a little bit because it leads us perfectly into talking about the Olympiacos match. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, I want to share some news with you about what's been going on at the club. Because on Saturday, the 21st of October, the club held its general assembly. And there were a few really notable things to come out of that assembly. Um, probably, I think the most interesting thing to me here you know being in the US is that the uh, the delegates who were in attendance approved a project to build an academy here in the US in Long Island New York it was approved by a very large margin it was like 283 for only 25 against and then there were 
21 abstentions. And this follows up on the club's uh, opening of an office in New York City in September of 2016. And this project is going to be a joint venture between FC Barcelona and Prospect Sports Partners of the U.S. And the complex is proposed to have eight artificial turf pitches, two natural turf pitches, and various training facilities and auxiliary buildings, and they expect that around 2,000 children per year will play on the site. In the agreement, Barcelona will send a team of Barca-trained coaches to teach the Barcelona methodology and philosophy, and PSP will be responsible for the construction of the facility. The club is going to get revenues from the use of the Barca brand and share any operating profits 50-50 with PSP. Now, the direct objectives of this project are to create an elite soccer academy to compete in the most important leagues in the country and become a leading project for young American players. It's also meant to develop the Barca brand in the, of course, highly desirable U.S. market and to scout talent in the U.S., Now, this is easily the most ambitious sporting project taken on by a major football club in the U.S., no doubt developing on the FCB Escola camps and clinics that have been operating in the U.S. for some years now. And uh, the inaugurations of the first camps are scheduled as early as this December, with the Long Island facility uh, scheduled to be completed in 2019. For me personally, the thought of a U.S. national team, the men's team specifically, that plays like Barcelona and wins a World Cup is like a dream I didn't even know I had. With the recent disappointment in men's international soccer by the uh, U.S. men's national team, sure, it had sort of, I don't know, crossed my mind, I guess. But now with this proposal and with this plan, it seems like it might one day be a reality in, I don't know, 10 years or so that we could see a U.S. men's national team that at least on some level looks and feels like Barcelona. Now, that is a team I could really, really get behind. We're going to pick up on this again next week when when Gabriel can chime in on it. So give us your reactions to this, too, and we'll get them on the next episode. Now, also at the General Assembly, uh, President Bartomeu addressed the current political crisis, and I don't think it's an exaggeration to call it a crisis, between Spain and Catalonia. On Saturday, uh, Spanish Prime Minister Mariano Rajoy invoked Article 155 of the Spanish Constitution, effectively stripping Catalonia of its autonomy and firing the Catalan regional president, Carlos Puigdemont, and all Catalan government ministers, and taking over control of the region with the promise to hold new elections within six months. In Bartomeu's statement, he said, uh, quote, We must reiterate our absolute support for the democratic institutions of Catalonia chosen by its people. We also wish to express our support for and solidarity with all of the affected parties and the public media. Now, more than ever, we must act with serenity. Any reaction must be civil and peaceful in the stadium, too. And now, more than ever, we must reiterate our support for dialogue as the only possible means to find a solution for the situation in Catalonia. So, of course, there were protests out in the streets of Barcelona and a peaceful one in the stadium um, at 17 minutes and 14 seconds of the Malaga match separatists started flying the blue-starred senyera, the flag of Catalonian independence, and that's significant because the year 1714 was the year that Aragon was brought in to the larger unification of Spain with um, royal marriages and 
all that sort of stuff. Uh, so that's why they did that at that point. And so effectively, that's when Catalonia sort of lost its its independence was 1714. Now, Bartomeu and the club have been holding this very fine line for months, if not years. They won't come out on one side or another of the independence question, preferring instead to focus on the democratic process and continue to affirm the rights of the people to decide. Now, I think that's actually the best position for the club to take because FC Barcelona is not itself a political party or anything like that. But they still stand for something. They still have values. And advocating for peace, dialogue, and the democratic process is totally in line with those values. And I don't think they need to or should get any deeper into the issue than that. Now, this statement came after a break in the proceedings at the assembly. But in his opening statement, uh, Bartomeu made the club's position on this very clear. He said, we can never allow... FCB to be manipulated as an instrument for political ideas, whatever they are. Nobody can take over our crest or our flag. He went on to denounce the imprisonment last week of two pro-independence organizers, Jordi Sanchez and Jordi Quirchart. Bartomeu said, it is inadmissible that a democratic state in the 21st century should have people in prison because of their political views. And I personally could not agree more with that statement. And the nuance of the club's stance on this promoting democracy, freedom of speech, and an unwillingness to be used as a political pawn in this process. You know, those two organizers were arrested on charges of sedition against the government, but they advocate for nonviolence and the democratic process, and yes, independence for Catalonia. Now, I've picked that up from a handful of news articles I read in sources I consider to be journalistically trustworthy, the Washington Post, NPR, BBC, that sort of thing. But I'll admit, maybe it is more nuanced than I currently understand. But they weren't trying to incite the violent overthrow of the government, which would definitely be a clear act of sedition. I I recognize that, but that's not what they were doing. Uh, I don't think it matters, or it should matter, whether you agree with the independence movement or not when it comes to the issue of these guys being held in prison. It looks an awful lot to me like they are political prisoners. Taking over the regional government, that's something that was provided for in the Spanish Constitution. It was a legal action, and it had international support from the French and German prime ministers, though I could absolutely understand why someone might be deeply unnerved by it. But putting these two guys in prison? I'm pretty sure that's fascist and wrong, and frankly, I think a bad move strategically by the authorities who approved the arrests. But this is why I love FC Barcelona. Even when our president pisses us off to no end with a string of poor signings, losing a top world player, losing the league, all of these things, at least he stands up for the club's values and principles. Are they still more than a club and not just another global brand? I think so. I think they are still more than a club. And looking at the uh, B squad and the women's team, I just want to check in with them. Uh, we started doing that during an international break, and I really like that we're still checking in with them. I, we're going to continue doing that. You're going to hear more about Barcelona B and uh, Barcelona women uh, week after week from now on, I think. Now, ever since we started talking about Barca B this year, we've said that all we hope for is for them to stay in the second division so that the players can get as close to top-tier experience as they can. And so far, they are not disappointing on that front. They're still right in the middle of the table, 11th place with 13 points after 10 games. 
They drew their last match over the weekend against the recently relegated Osasuna with two goals, one from David Concha and one from Carlos Aleña, both assisted by Jose Arnaiz. Now, that's exactly the kind of thing we're talking about. Osasuna were playing the big boys last year in the first division, and they're leading the second division right now. So that's really good training for the B team. Now, before that, they won against La Jolla Lorca, one to nothing, and Arnaiz was the goal scorer, and it was a nice one. Alenia had the ball in the attacking third, right in the center, and he played it out to Arnaiz on the left wing, and he is a true winger. Uh, he just cut inside with it and let it rip a couple of yards into the box. The goalkeeper got a hand to it, but it just bounced into the goal. Uh, they almost had another goal from a corner kick earlier, uh, but it came off the post. And that's just based on the, the highlight videos that are available on the uh, FC Barcelona website. So those are some fun to check out. I would like to maybe one day see a whole match. But uh, in general, the, the takeaway here is that um, Alenia is looking good. Arnaiz was a, a really good buy for Barcelona B, and I hope that we get to see some of them in action in the first team or representing the first team in the near future. But in general, yeah, Barca B is uh, fully fulfilling our expectations, which is to stay in the second division, get as close to top-tier experience as you can, and just be, be cool there. Now, the women are continuing to win and top the table of their domestic competition. In their last game against Valencia, they won 2 to nothing. And you should really take two minutes out of your day and watch the highlights on the website, uh, FC Barcelona website. We'll post a link on our Facebook page. Now, the first goal was scored by Tony Duggan, a great new signing this year. We've talked about her before. She was approaching the box with the ball, and a defender came in hard on her, and they collided. But she spun around the collision, got the ball in front of her again, facing goal, and let it fly. It was a really nice goal. And then Alexia got the second goal, and the buildup on that was really beautiful. Uh, Lika Martins took the ball all the way down to the end line, getting past a defender with a sweet nutmeg, got in the cross, but the first attempt was blocked, and then the assist came in off the rebound of that, and Alexia just stepped up unmarked and put it away. So seriously, check out the highlights to watch Martin's nutmeg. It was it was pretty sick. But yeah, we're really encouraged by the women. They're doing really well this year. Uh, we're also, of course, very curious to see how they're going to ultimately perform in the Women's Champions League. They're looking good right now, but you know we'll see how it plays out as the uh, the rounds get tighter and you know, the knockout phases start. But we're keep cheering for the women. But let's pick up where Gabriel and I left off with uh, with our listener comment, and that's going to lead us right into talking about the first team and the Champions League match against Olympiacos. And this came from Victor uh, via Facebook. And uh, Victor is a very uh, engaged listener. He has left us a review in the iTunes store. We appreciate that. Um, he has emailed us, and now he's reached out to us on Facebook. So he's he's using all the media to get in touch with us, and we check all of those. Uh, anyway, his topic request, Delufeu, or as we call him, Deuces. Um, so Victor says, Delufeu got the start and gave us 45 minutes of play before Valgreen yanked him to address PK's mess. Are we happy with his performance and what he is offering? Or is it still not good enough? So great question by Victor. Victor, thanks for all the feedback you give us and all the messages. Uh, I've heard a lot of reviews about the Andres Gomez performance last week Okay, against Atletico. Uh, your positive spin on it, some other podcasts, uh, just re reading about it. And as I said before, I, you know, 
that game against Atleti, yeah, he didn't do many mistakes. He made passes. And like I mentioned, I felt like he was in the way. He was always in the way. And yeah, he didn't lose the ball. He had statistically a great game. He had a high accuracy of passes. But for me, there was never a threat. Now, we look at the first half on Wednesday in the Olympiacos match, and Delafeu was dive-bombing the right corner all night long. And I know it's against Olympiacos, but still. He gives that pressure, right? He does that dive. He's like a perfect winger for the 4-3-3. Perfect right winger. And for me, if we're going to do a 4-3-3, we should utilize Delafeu. No questions asked. Delafeu, 4-3-3, dive bomb. Go for it. Because how many ch- opportunities did we have in the first half when he was just coming in, diving across, crossing, this type of thing? There was just more action in the first 45 minutes. Now, obviously, PK with his two yellow cards put uh, Val-, Val Green in a bit of a mess with you know, we had to put Mascherano for defensive purposes. But I think Delafeu would have just kept, I think he would have scored a goal or just gave uh, or assisted to two more goals. That was my perception watching the game. I was really uh, not impressed, but I was satisfied with Delafeu's performance. What did you see in your boy Deuce's performance? I thought Deuce's did it, was doing a great job. Um, and just like you said, like there are these moves that he has that sometimes are successful and uh, most times are not. Right. That that one move that he tries to make where he tries to beat the defender and cut inside. And and so whenever he tries to do that, uh, he looks a little bit disappointing. But when you compare what Gomez was doing in the right wing versus what De La Feo can do on the right wing, especially when he and Sergi Roberto are both playing, when you got Sergi Roberto and right back and De La Feo at right winger. The two of them, the interchange, the way that sometimes De La Feo will come inside and that opens up the space on the right for Sergio Roberto to run down. And then other times they switch around. It becomes this very flexible, fluid kind of situation. I like all of that. And I also like the threat that Deuces presents. He he does get some good crosses in. Uh, he get, actually gets a lot of good crosses in. So like I'm very happy with De La Feo. And I think the more minutes he sees, he's just going to keep improving, keep getting better. So even when Dembele comes back, I think Valverde should really be looking to sort of rotate those two in that right winger position. Or I don't know, maybe if he has plans to play Dembele out to the left. But if we have Dembele out to the left and Delefeu out to the right, that's going to that's gonna be a, a really killing uh, lineup. Of course, then, you know, where do you put Messi? But Yeah, I mean, but Messi can just roam and he'll figure it out, right? Messi can just do whatever he wants. I really don't care. But as long as you have a defined role for deuces, and deuces is always going to try to get to the to the baseline, basically, right? That's his whole goal. Now, imagine if we had deuces in the Atletico match. Yeah, it would have gone so much better. Well, not only that, but like we would have had more possession, but more dangerous play. Because now Felipe Luis is like, okay, deuces is going to keep trying to go down and die bombing. And then with the combination play of the midfield and Messi, then all of a sudden that just there's a hole there. All of a sudden there's just holes, you know, that are happening and the defense isn't as organized. So those are the type of things. That's why for me, yeah, like everyone's saying Gomez didn't screw up. But it's like I don't want a player that doesn't screw up. I want a player that's going to give us an advantage somehow playing attacking football. And Deuces, for example, on Wednesday, again, I, again, I know it's Olympiacos, which is not the greatest team ever. But at the same time, just imagine Deuces dive bombing that right side with the combination of Suarez in the middle and Messi going lateral behind that movement. All of a sudden, that's chaos for the defense. So that's all I ever ask. I just, you know, put Deuces in a good position or Sergio Roberto would do the same thing. And hopefully Deuces gets more playing time because he had a really great game that, that night. 
Yeah, and that's you know you're not asking for for much. I just want chaos. That's all I'm asking for. It's it's simple. <laughs> now now um, what you said about having Suarez in the center that's another issue because that that came up in the Olympiacos game and we saw it last week in the Atletico game also the fact that so often Suarez is more out to the left where he really shouldn't be and I don't think that that's so much his fault. I think it has a lot more to do with with the lineup, particularly when you're definitely playing a right winger and then you have Messi who likes to go from right to left. Everything in their attack is a little skewed to the right. They don't have anyone out on the left who can do what Delefeu is doing out on the right and that kind of thing. So whether it's Jordi Alba or Dina playing left back, they don't have anyone in the forward position who they can really combine with in the same way that they have it going on on the right-hand side. And again, with Messi coming always, almost always coming from the right to the left, we're really skewed over to the right. And then you find yourself in these situations where Suarez now is coming out to the left and he's trying to do something, but that's not where he's strongest. He needs to be in a lineup where he can be in the center as much as possible, like almost all the time. So that was one complaint that I had about the um, the, the situation in the Olympiacos game, not because it caused us too many problems against Olympiacos, who, as you've noted, are not the best team in the world, but they are the best team in Greece for what that's worth. Um, so I, but I did have a complaint about that. Now, here's another thing that I noticed about um, Pauly. He took a shot from outside the box around 20 minutes or so. So there was a varied attack, and as soon as I saw him do that, I thought of you immediately. I thought, oh, we've got a, we've got some varied attack. What did you think about that? I mean, just think, just I mean, again, we have to take this into context because it's Olympiacos and their defense isn't as organized as Leti. But going back to like what you were saying with Suarez at the middle, I mean, if we had, let's say, tomorrow was a Champions League final. We already have a bunch of positions that are set in stone, right? So we need to put Suarez in the middle, Messi behind him, floating, PK and TT the back line, Ter Stegen, and then Busquets in front of the defense, right? Everyone else, it just depends, right? It's, well, Jordi Alba, I guess you would say, on the left. I'm just saying that Val Green needs to put Suarez in a better position up the middle and build around that attack, right? So if we have Deuces playing, then maybe have another uh, pseudo left winger. Because Messi, again, can float anywhere. He just he can come anywhere he wants. But yeah, Pauly, you know, it's funny how I was listening to myself a couple months ago, how much I was ripping Pauly and so forth. But actually, Pauly gives us something that we have lacked for a long time, and that's muscle. And that's really hard to find sometimes. Pauly shoots from outside, which I'm all, I'm all for. But also, he provides that muscle up the middle. He's strong on the ball, and he doesn't take shit from anybody. So for me, I like that attitude because a lot of times we have been perceived as soft. And Pauly being a good header, good at uh, attacking in the air, pushing people off the off the ball, possessing the ball, he gives us another dimension, and he's growing on me like a toe fungus. So I'm definitely uh, you know becoming more of a Pauly fan for sure, especially like against teams like this Olympiacos where we can give Iniesta or other midfielders a, a break. Yeah, and there was also another good play where Iniesta just kind of popped the ball over the top to awaiting Pauly uh, to try and head it in. And like he he supplies that that kind of target with his height, and we know he's physical and he's going to go for headed balls. And just being able to send the ball over the top on, on a short pass as another threat, that's another positive thing that he 
that he provides. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, if they would have kind of had this attacking uh, variance against Atleti, I think it would have been a more open game, and I think Barcelona could have scored a couple more goals. You know, in a game where we're playing, like in the Copa del Rey that we have coming up against Murcia or something, we can have 80% possession and win like a 3 nothing game, and I'd be perfectly fine with that. But in these big matches, as I've always highlighted against Chelsea in the Champions League, where we're going to we have to fight and really pull out these away victories. Having a varied attack is super important. Shooting from the outside like Pauly did, having some headers, some crosses, because you don't want to give the defense an easy way out. If the defense always knows that you're not going to shoot from outside and or you're never going to cross the ball, it's so it's so much easier for the defense to focus on the ground game. So I, I really did like the way they they played attacking football on Wednesday. And you can see by the scoreline, I mean, they scored early goals. They had a lot of shots on goals. Olympiacos was on their feet, on their back line, all, you know, most of the, most of the match. And they, and Barcelona had a lot of possession and they weren't really, um, they weren't really attacked on defense as well. So. Yeah, no, not at all. Olympiacos actually made it almost easier for them uh, even after PK was ejected. Now, on that topic of PK, which do you think was the stupider of his two yellow cards? The first one where he pulled back an attacker or the second one where he got his hand on the ball and coming at at goal? The first one. The first one. Because sometimes I don't understand these fouls that they do. You know, they they would call that a professional foul, right? Because he has an attacking uh, advantage and you're going to pull the guy down. But at the same time, like, that guy is not good enough and, like, you just run back and just pressure him and take a chance because, okay, if Olympiacos scores a goal, you're telling me that we're not going to come back and score some more goals? Like, to me, you have to kind of know the situation and is it really that necessary to pull someone down? Obviously, if you're, you know, in a desperation and you really need the goal or whatever, okay, pull him down. But against Olympiacos, first round of Champions League, like, there's no reason for that. There's no reason. So for me, the first foul, because then that obviously set up for the second one, where he armed ball the head, the ball into the goal, and then it's like automatic yellow, you know. So red card, and as we said last episode, fuera, fuera. <laughs> now, do you think that was a good call? Actually, that second yellow. Yeah, like, I mean, was it? He definitely seemed to motion with his arm towards the ball. So, I mean, in that sense, yes, it was a good call. But yeah. also, it happened so fast. It did. It did. And the thing is, is you know, when you have a yellow card like that, you, you're playing with fire. You know, so that's the other thing. It just goes back to, you know, PK never really has these type of games. And he's okay to have a game like this where he makes mistakes and he gets ejected. That's fine. I mean, c- compare him to Ramos's history of red cards. It doesn't even compare. PK is way more disciplined, much uh, less games ejected in, in these type of situations. So for me, it's okay. Like, PK also doesn't have to play the next game, gives Mascherano a game in. And also he gets wiped clean of red cards. So, eh, it's okay. Yeah, it worked out okay. Now, okay, let's talk about uh, a couple of the goals. Uh, The one goal I want to talk about first, because you're our um, free kick expert, because that was always your position when you were playing. Um, That free kick from Messi was, to me, uh, absolutely beautiful, like a work of art. And so casual. It it really seemed like he just sort of like, it, it seems like he strolled up to the ball, kick it, and it went in. But how did you see that free kick? So let, I'm gonna, you know what I'm going to start doing? I'm going to start giving this like a messy rating. Like uh, five messy heads would be like an amazing free kick and zero being a terrible one. I would give this like a two. Because this is the thing. If you watch the replay, 
Like, yeah, he got a great curve. It went over the wall. But really, like, if it's a top-tier goalkeeper, that goalkeeper is going to stop it. The Olympiacos keeper got a hand on it, and he just didn't play it right, and it went behind him and up in the net. It was a great shot, good pace, went over the wall, good curve, but it wasn't, like, unsavable. It's just, again, this is the the margin of talent between the Greek league and La Liga. There's a huge gap, you know? That's that's just what it is. So for me, I would give it two messy heads for that free kick. Yeah, and Proto, the goalkeeper for Olympiacos, I think he had a lot of good saves. He generally had a very good game, but yeah, you know, his um, whatever might be lacking in, in his in his skills as a goalkeeper kind of shown through at that moment. Also, I have to say the wall, I did watch the replay and the wall didn't really put up much of a fight either. Only one guy in the wall even jumped. The rest of them were just staring at the ball. So yeah, they made it a little bit easy for Messi to score on that. one. Yeah. Again, it's, it, you know, imagine, you know, like, um, I don't know, Brian, imagine, uh, you get offered, uh, an opportunity of a lifetime to go to, I don't know, the best recording studio you've ever heard of or whatever. Right. And, you're kind of like a small fish in a big pond, right? You like show up, you're all excited, you you kind of are like have butterflies, you don't know which way is up, you're just in awe of everything around you. That's what I always feel about these teams like Olympiacos that come to the Camp Nou because they're playing against Messi, Suarez, they're playing in this historical stadium, they're playing in Champions League, everyone in the world is watching. And so these type of, like especially with the wall or the goalkeeper doing the free kick save, these are just things that a top tier team like... I'm sure Oblak would have, would have stopped that ball. And those are the difference. Yeah, it was a nice free kick. We got the goal. Great. But, like, for example, the Digne goal. That was a good goal. I like that goal. That was a good setup from the start to beginning. The way they, they crossed the ball, it came in, chaos. Digne made a nice shot, lower right corner, goal. You know, that was a great goal. And, of course, the first own goal. Uh, how many own goals do we have this year so far? That's the other thing. We have- <laughs> I think own goal is our second best scorer <laughs> Ex- after Messi. Yeah, exactly. What is he, number 99 or something like this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, the number nine. I saw on Twitter, I don't know by who, and by someone, it's like, we should get own goal in Jersey because that guy has scored like five times a season for us or something like this. So I thought that was a great comment. So, yeah. But again, you know, in these type of games, you're creating so much chaos and so much um, – just the defense is on high alert, you know, and so the pass came in, you know, and the own goal, and it's, that's just what happens. And so, you know, whenever you just throw the ball into the attacking zone, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Now let's uh, talk about MOTMOTM. <laughs> so that's a new code that has emerged. I just saw it on Reddit the other day. It means man of the match other than Messi, which Ooh. is our policy here. We, we, we have enshrined Messi as man of the match for all time, but so we, we like to pick man of the match other than Messi. So who's, who was your MOTMOTM? I love that acronym. That is amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> MOTMOTM. Wow. Uh, my man of the match other than Messi was Deuces. I think Deuces for me for the first 45 was the difference. Um, just dive bombing that right corner. I mean, you can just see how much that opened up everything else. So for me, Deuces was the man of the match, especially just for those first 45. When he came off, the match was almost pretty much in hand, I think. I mean, I know they were only up one nothing, but for some reason, Barca always concentrates more and plays a better passing game when they're a man down. It's one of those crazy things, which to me is so fascinating because you would think the other team would have a distinct advantage to have that additional person. But for some reason, Barca just puts on their keep away 
passing game that's just unreal, and they were able to possess and obviously get the late game winners of the 64th and the 61st minute. So for me, the man of the match was Deuces for sure. Who was your man of the match other than Messi? Well, I think uh, I think your pick, Deuces, was a very good pick, uh, but also in the tradition of us each picking our own a different man of the match, I'm going to go with the blessing in disguise, Gerard Piquet, because just as you pointed out, uh, him getting ejected from the game actually made the rest of the players, the outfield players, play a more focused and successful game. I mean, keep in mind, they scored, uh, we got one goal in the first half when we had 10 men outfield, and then we scored two more when we only had nine. Everyone was much more organized and focused, and the, the game actually became more threatening when Barcelona were down a man, and you wouldn't have even guessed that they were down a man. Uh, I don't know what was going on in the field, but for some reason, Olympiacos was not even trying to take advantage of the fact that they had a um, personnel advantage with you know in numbers. Uh, so there was there's something about a blessing in disguise to PK getting ejected. So um, I think I would have picked Deuces, but uh, in in lieu of that, I'm going to go with PK. I think that's a good good choice and. Like, like I said, their passing game became more focused and like you also mentioned. And I also think that Suarez was also the point man. You know, I don't know if you noticed because when they brought Mascherano in, all of a sudden they were the four flat. They kind of went to a four, three, one, one type of thing. Um, and I also think that Suarez was more focused up the middle, which also gave them more attacking with a focal point, you know, and so that also helped as well. But I just, you know, hey, we're on top of the Champions League table in our group. We're progressing. We have won every game, though some games haven't been the most pretty, but we keep winning. And for me, that is great because last year, these type of games could have given us trouble because we weren't as organized. We weren't as disciplined. We weren't as focused. So for me, we just keep chugging along. We keep getting points and we're going to be on top of the table. So mission accomplished so far. Now looking to La Liga. Uh, in La Liga, generally, Sevilla took a 4 nothing loss to Valencia this past weekend, and I really thought that Sevilla was going to be a team to watch this year. Of course, when Barcelona plays them, it will be one of the tougher matches of the year, I think. But overall, they've slipped from the decent start they had. Uh, meanwhile, Valencia is stepping up a lot, holding second place behind Barca with 19 points. And I'm recording this before the Real Madrid match over this past weekend, but assuming they win that one, they'd still have to wait at least another week before getting ahead of Valencia if they even do at all. That's if Valencia cooperates and drops points next week. So at this point, the dark horse rising up is, surprisingly, Real Betis, holding on to fifth place. But the top four are pretty much the usual suspects. Barcelona, Valencia, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid. And in the league, as I'm sure you know, Barcelona played Malaga on Saturday at the Camp Nou, took a win, uh, 2-0 against Malaga. And the first thing I want to talk about with this match is the lineup. Uh, Dina got the start, as he did against Olympiacos, since Jordi Alba took an injury in training last Tuesday. He's going to be out for 10 days with a tear in his abductor muscle. And Dina isn't quite as much of an attacking threat as Alba, but you can see that he wants to be more threatening. He wants to get forward and help the attack. So while he's getting the minutes with Jordi out, hopefully he'll develop that part of his game some more, although he was directly involved in the the, ver the first goal. Now, I was a little puzzled at Semedo not getting the start, uh, but we've seen over the past few weeks how when Sergi and Deuces are playing together on the right side, they can really open things up, both by spreading the defense and by cutting in 
and freely interchanging in the attack. And I guess Valverde is really into that combo right now. Um, Now, I'm not sure what's going on with PK right now. Of course, we know he was ejected from the Olympiacos match, but that was Champions League that wouldn't keep him out of a league match. I don't know if Valverde is sending him a message or if he's just giving him some rest and rotating the squad. So Mascherano and Umtiti were holding down the central defense, and the midfield trio was our best, I think. Busquets anchoring with Iniesta and Rakitic on either side of him, and Suarez and Messi on the attacking end of things. Now let's talk about the goals. The first goal was, in the end, a gift from the referee, but it was a great play. Malaga hadn't even touched the ball yet. We're only two minutes into the game. Dino was getting forward, made a nice fake to get past his man, gave it to Iniesta and kept running forward. And of course, Iniesta fed it back to him perfectly. And his initial cross hit the defender and bounced right back to him. And in that moment, the ball went out before he got the second cross in, but it was not called out. So Dino puts the ball across, Deuces tucked it away really nicely and got his first goal of the year. But the Malaga goalkeeper, Prieto, wasn't even trying to save it because he could see that it had gone out. He had a legitimate complaint, but it's also, you know, one of those painful reminders that you got to keep playing unless you hear that whistle. There was no whistle. They didn't call it out. So play went on. The goal was good. And again, another, a good tuck away from Deuces. Now, overall, Malaga were really tough defensively. The second goal didn't come for a while, and it had another little bit of luck in it. But the build-up play was pure beauty. Barca had been playing their usual possession game, circulating the ball. Malaga players sticking a toe in here and there, trying to upset the rhythm. And then Mascherano sees Messi in just enough space and fires the ball to him. Messi turned and brought about five defenders towards him. Three in front of him started closing him down and two more were chasing behind him. And that opened up the space for Iniesta out on the left, just a little bit to the left. Messi got the pass off at the perfect moment, and Iniesta's shot might have gone too high, but it did take a slight deflection off the boot of Rosales, and it went into the top corner, giving Don Andres his first goal of the year also. So it was a game of first goals. The big disappointment of the match was, of course, Luis Suarez. I'm sure you agree with me on this. He has not been looking great overall this season. He's played the full 90 in all but a couple of his 11 appearances and scored three goals. Now, part of this I chalk up to the fact that so often he's out wide on the left, where he's not going to be his most effective. And he's out there because we haven't had a true left winger to play in that space. But in this Malaga match, we saw flashes of what he can do when he's in the center, but he couldn't deliver a goal even when he was in a good position. And that first promising flash came for me in the 60th minute when he was backing into the defender and Rakitic put it into him. He made a classic turn to get on goal, but the shot went wide. I felt like that was the first time I'd seen him do that in a while. And usually he's a great finisher, but lately something has just really been off with his finishing. Um, At one moment coming up on about 80 minutes, so somewhere in the 79 range, He was in a good spot in some space, and he got a great pass from Umtiti. He made a really good turn as well, but then he lost the ball under his feet. Now, to be fair, he was getting shut down, and he saw Messi coming in behind him, and rather than try to take the shot, I think he was trying to backheel it to Messi, which is commendable, but that's just been the story lately, like close but no joy, and he just sort of got the ball lost under his feet. The backheel didn't work. 
The worst was in the 73rd minute, though. They were on the break. Sergi had it on the left going into the box. He put it across to Suarez. All he had to do was tap it in, but he put it wide. So I'm glad Valverde took him out and put in Paco for the last 10 minutes of the game, and hopefully that will inspire Suarez to do whatever he needs to do to make a case for for his continuing play. Uh, Now, on the other hand, he did have a knee injury at the early part of the season, and there's uh, some thinking that maybe uh, that injury is still continuing to cause him problems, even though he's match fit. I don't know. Maybe he's just not feeling right in his body. But anyway, but talking about that last play brings me back to Sergi Roberto. You all know how much I love Sergi Roberto. We call him Swiss Knife. Thank you, Carlos, for that. You need a toothpick? Sergi's got you. You need tweezers? Sergi's got you. You need little scissors? Sergi's got you. Once Samedo came on for deuces, I knew that Sergi was going to shift up into the attacking role, and man, did he deliver. Even though, in theory, he was taking over the right wing, he'll cut across to the left and make up for that left wing deficiency I mentioned earlier, and that allows Suarez to stay in a central role, and Sergi had a number of brilliant moments once he was forward. The one I just mentioned that Suarez couldn't finish was one of them, but my favorite was in the 83rd minute when he combined with Semedo on a give-and-go, got into the box, and got a shot off. So let me break this thing down. For starters, he held up the ball and passed it to Semedo at the perfect moment. So right there, he's patient, calm on the ball, and has a great sense of timing. The run into the box to get it back from Semedo was explosive, and then he dribbled past two defenders with moves that were actually quite reminiscent of Messi, coming in and then cutting back out to get the shot. It's only a bummer he couldn't finish it off, but with those moves and all that intelligence, get some finishing drills in on the training ground and he'll be good to go. Now, there is constant chatter, both in the press and between us fans, that if Sergi doesn't start getting more play in midfield or attack, if he continues to be forced to play right back, we're going to lose him. He's going to go to another club. Now, here's why I don't think that's going to happen. For one thing, he is getting more time in forward positions. Not so much in midfield, but at least he's getting more time away from right back duties this year than the last couple of years. Valverde clearly sees his quality and what he offers in those positions, and I predict we're going to see more and more of him in those roles. Secondly, there were a few moments in this match where you could tell that Messi was encouraging him, and if I were Sergi, that's all I would need to keep going. If Messi is giving you encouragement, that in itself is reward enough and incentive enough to stay where you are and keep doing what you are doing. And to finish up this review of that match, I have to express my sympathy to Malaga. Eight losses and one draw in nine games. They have had a truly disappointing start to the season, and uh, they have some quality players, but they can't seem to get it together so far. Meanwhile, we're on the opposite side of that, Eight wins and one draw, and we're riding high and feeling good. So another tough break for Malaga, but another great win for us. Let's hope it keeps rolling like this. And finally, we have two matches coming up this week. The first one will be in the Copa del Rey against Murcia. That's going to be played in Murcia, southwest of Spain, at the Nueva Condomina. Uh, It's on Tuesday, the 24th of October. And a couple of funny little points about this match. Uh, Mercia pointed out on Twitter this last week that Messi has never scored against them. Uh, I guess trying to maybe stir up a little 
a little bit of controversy or, I don't know, ruffle their feathers a little bit before the match. Now, the funny thing about this is that Messi has only played against Murcia twice, and usually the a reserve squad would play those matches in the early rounds of the Spanish Cup. <laughs> I mean, Murcia is in fourth place of the Segunda B division, which is the third tier of Spanish football, where Barca B were just promoted from this year. Now, assuming that the reserve or like a B team does play, it might still be a good competition for them. Uh, They're sitting a little deep in the second division table right now, but they should be able to get a win and put Barcelona in a good position for the return leg of this round at the Camp Nou. And I have to admit, I was a little surprised to see that BN would be covering this game because it's against such a, you know, such a small club, uh, low in the in the whole tier system Uh, so it doesn't seem like much of a television event but bn will be carrying it so if my suspicions are correct and we see more of a reserve team playing this match we might get a chance to see some upcoming young talent in action for 90 whole minutes this tuesday so as for players to watch i'm going to be checking to see if Carlos Alenia or Jose Arnaiz are called up if that's allowed i don't know but if they are i'm going to be watching them and Again, it sort of depends on what kind of team we field, but in theory, uh, we'll win it, you know, with without any real problems. But de- again, depending upon what kind of lineup gets announced, it could be an interesting game to watch. Either way, I'm going to be watching it. But then, of course, the bigger event is going to be happening on Saturday, uh, the 28th, where Barcelona will travel to Basque Country to play Athletic Bilbao at the San Mames. So this is Valverde's old club. He spent four years managing them before moving to Barcelona. He had an earlier spell managing them in uh, 2002 to 2005 also. And um, the Basque side have had a rough start under their new manager, Cuco Ziganda, who managed the athletic uh, B team for some years and then took over this year after Valverde left. So they're sitting around the middle of the table despite having some really good talent. Um, when I think about a player to watch on the athletic side, uh, you know, the attacking power at athletic is better than their current position in 11th place would suggest or would lead you to believe. The striker, Aduriz, the wingers, Iñaki Williams and Iker Munyain, and Raul Garcia, he's an attacking midfielder, they have collectively scored nine of athletic's 10 goals. The 10th came from Mikel Vesca. He's more of a defensive midfielder with fewer appearances than the others. So that attacking force is going to be hard for Barcelona to handle, I think. Uh, but for me, the player to watch is the central defender Unai Nunes, mainly because uh, reports in the last week have said that Barcelona have their eye on signing him. So if he plays, and he probably will, he's played in every game for Athletic so far, we can think of this as an audition of sorts to see how we might feel about getting him into a Barcelona jersey. So Unai Nunes, let's see how he does. I'm hoping for a win, of course, as always. But with this game being played at the San Mames, I can't confidently say that I think they'll get a win. If they do, I think it will be tight. One thing I can guarantee is that it will be a good game to watch because Athletic always comes out hard against us, makes things difficult, and it always makes for an entertaining game. (laughs) 
That's it for this week, everybody. I hope you didn't mind uh, Gabriel not being there for the Malaga review too much. But we want to remind you to be a part of the show. Give us your comments, your questions, your topics you'd like us to discuss. Visit us at barsatalk.net to get in touch. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and spread the word about Barsa Talk to your friends. Until next time, I am Brian Henderson. I'm Gabriel Quiroga. And this has been Barsa Talk. Thanks again for listening. Visca Barça. Visca Barça. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.